so glad that God brought Scott Jacobs here to lead us in worship. He's seen worship services a lot different than we have. We've talked about this before. He goes to prisons and rehab centers and sees desperate people who aren't afraid to say, this is who I really am and this is what Christ has done for me that have found hope in Jesus and have nothing to boast in, only Jesus. And he gets to see them in their orange suits with their New Balance shoes or see them coming in off the streets again with this attitude that says, hi, my name is Jim and I'm an alcoholic. He gets to see these people gather and they're just so real in their worship and without pretense because they don't think they're better than they are. And they have no need to judge one another. They just know, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. Jesus is all I got. Let's sing. I am so thankful for the Armstrongs giving their testimony. And I want you to do that as well. You just got to help me find you. And say yes when I find you. And it's a whole new level of humility when we're able to sit here and say, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not going to hide it. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That's a whole nother level of refusing to posture and coming together like sinners anonymous and giving testimony. But there's a whole nother level we can go to. What if our church would have been that place where even in the midst of their sin, they could have said, I'm broken right now. It sounds like in 2013, Horizon was that place that a man came in and found hope even in his sin. So it's one thing if we're David and Nathan comes to us and we're able to tell everybody, hi, I'm David and this is what I did. But it's a whole nother thing when we are David and we're in the midst of our sin. And that requires trust. Oh, that God would let us as a church be so trustworthy that you right now, because you're here, that sinned yesterday horribly, don't have to wait to someday tell your story. But you'll find gospel grace right now. May God help us be such an intimate church. And this sermon may help. For if you wanted to talk about how high and holy your God is and how great and awesome His law is, and how good and righteous you are, better than others in keeping it, this is not the Sunday to come to church. Today, we're talking about sin. So I know I'm repeating a little bit, but I'm trying to tell you a story here. And the story starts with awe. The God who created the heavens and the earth, and then created the the fish and the birds and the animals, all that dwells therein, who then said, Now, pause, let's make man in our image. And he got his hands dirty and he he formed the man out of the dust with his hands and then he formed the woman out of the side of Adam and he breathed life into them, but he gave them more than just life. He gave them certain attributes that he had. We call them communicable attributes, certain characteristics They would be in his image and in his likeness. They would be like God or God-like. They would be godly. We talk about the Westminster divines. They were really divine. 
They, Adam and Eve were perfect and holy, like God in so many ways. Not in every way, but in so many ways. God looked at them and God said to them, I want you to be like me and you're going to be spiritual beings. You're more than just matter. You have a soul. God looked at them and said, you're going to be communal beings. You're going to know there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be something inside you that wants to, to enjoy communion with them. And then you're going to look around and notice your neighbors and know they're made in the image of God. And you're going to have a sanctity of human life. You're going to value them like you value me because those people are made in my image. God then said, you're going to be like me and you're going to be righteous beings. Yes, everything you do will be righteous. All that you say will be truthful and righteous. What you think will be God-like because you're going to have the mind of Christ. You're going to think like me and your desires. That's going to be your default mode. You're not going to have to fight evil because you're not going to want evil. You're going to want righteousness. You're going to be holy and blameless and perfect in your affections. And so God created Adam and Eve in his likeness. They were creative beings like God. They could do art. They could also procreate and do babies. They would rule the world. God said, you're going to be my princes, my princesses, my governors, my managers, my stewards, whatever words you want to use. The whole world is going to under me, and I'm placing the whole world under you. And you're going to now be my vice regents stewarding the planet. You're going to be like me, and you're going to live forever. Now, unlike God, God had no beginning. Adam and Eve had a beginning. But somehow, in some condition, you're going to always exist. God then got busy. With this plan in mind, he created Adam and Eve. He loved his work and said, this is good. This is exactly what I imagined. And what a day that must have been. I mean, what an existence. Father, Son, Spirit, Adam, Eve. No sin, harmony, peace, joy, righteousness, brotherly love. Absolutely awesome. Now you know why the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of him? Then comes law. This isn't bad. We talked about that, remember? It's good. What if God comes and gives you a law that you want to keep? Like, Joe, after church today, you absolutely must go eat pizza. <laughs> Whatever you say, Lord, I must follow. Anywhere you lead me, there I'm going. He comes to people who share his hearts, share his desire, and this is what he says to them. He says to them, I want you to love me with all your heart. I want you to have awe of me. I want you to fear me because that's the beginning of wisdom. I want you to love your neighbors. And I want you to eat, drink, and be merry. I want you, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, to do it all to the glory of God. And you're sitting here going, now, where did he say that? Well, the Bible tells us that he wrote certain laws on the hearts of all men. So that's, once again, what they wanted to do as he wrote his law code on their heart saying, this is what you're to do. And at this point, Adam and Eve are going, what else would we want to do? Because you're awesome and your law is good. Then maybe a few days later, God shows back up as he's walking in the garden. He says, I have a few more commandments for you, some more instructions. 
Now, in addition to trusting and loving and awing and honoring and eating and drinking and doing everything for the glory of God, I want you to cleave together in marriage. I want you to make more disciples. I want you to encourage your children to cleave together in marriage and then leave you and then go make more disciples. I want you to fill the universe. I want you to labor, work, order, name, organize, and manage. I want you to enjoy the weekly holiday with me. And one more thing. You can eat of all the trees in, your, in the garden. Just one. Let's not eat from that one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God presented his law to his perfect people. And he promised blessing and curse. Now, if you love me and fear me and awe, and if you glorify me, and if you do love your neighbors, and you just keep doing what's in your heart, and you don't eat from this tree, it's going to go well for you. There's going to be blessing for you and your children. Because we learn in later scripture that he was like the representative. That God was kind of establishing this as, this is what's going to go on now forever with Adam and his race. But Adam, Eve, if you disobey at all from the inside or on the outside, you know what's getting ready to happen? Your entire race will be cursed and the soul that sins, it shall die. So now God has delivered his law to his people. And what happens? It goes well, I guess, for some period of time until it didn't. The next word in our story, sin. Lucifer shows up. He's the one who received God's angelic law in the heavens and said, no, sir, I'm not going to obey and rebelled and was cursed. But he was not yet excommunicated to the lake of fire. He can't get at God, but he wants to get at God's image bearers. And so he shows up in the garden and he enters and coyly he steps up and with incredible diabolical skill, he tempts and it's a mystery. I do not know. And I've never read anybody who knows how a perfectly good person wanted evil. I can't answer it, so don't ask me. I'll forward your email somewhere else. Dave Satterley, you're in charge. <laughs> but Satan tempted. And what I want you to see is the fall. Adam and Eve first fell internally before you ever saw evidence of their internal sin externally. This is an important realization for you to see. Adam and Eve were supposed to trust, but they didn't. They were never to doubt, but they doubted God's character. They disbelieved his wisdom. They discounted his loving warnings. They ceased awing him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They ceased caring most about one another they desired that which was forbidden by the Lord, became discontent. They coveted, in Gordon's language or Paul's language, that which they didn't have. They reasoned poorly, became arrogant. That's all inside stuff, who we be. That which was done in the heart and the soul and the mind and the conscience and the will and whatever other words you want to use in there with the passions and the desires we have. Then showed itself where? Out there. And we see that they ate from the forbidden tree. Then we see them harming one another as Adam sits back and watches Eve partake and 
doesn't appear to do anything to help his neighbor. And Eve, after she partakes, sits back and offers it to Adam to see if if he's going to get away with it too. And then later on, you're going to see when they are conversed with by God, Adam's the first to throw his wife under the bus. Are you seeing what I'm saying this fall? That that which happened on the inside started showing itself on the outside. They fell from grace. And with their falling from grace, they fell before us in time. But Adam fell for us. He was our representative. And you can say, well, I never signed up for that deal. R.C. Sproul was the first to make that clear to me, and you never signed up for the deal with Christ either. But he made him your head. So don't complain about the headship that God gives you. God put us all in Adam and said, because Adam fell before us, he also fell for us, like us. So we're even never going to be able to say, but he wasn't a good representative. He proved to be the perfect representative because we're just like him, chips off the old block. And so what happens now? All of us should be in awe of God. All of us should with hands wide open say, give me your law. All of us should understand how strict and high and holy and good, all those things I talked about last week is God's law. And then we should all recognize that there's no one righteous, no, not one. And it starts at conception. This is what we mean by the doctrine of original sin. Laura's mom's name was Barbara Evans. Mr. Evans was this big six foot four worship leader with the big baritone voice. Mrs. Evans was this little petite four eight, five two. <laughs> Sorry, she's a tiny lady. She had rheumatoid arthritis. She didn't ask for it. It tore up her body. And then that which she had, which tore up her body that she didn't ask for, was further inflamed as she took part in some of the medicine of that day and had these gold treatments that just tore her organs and everything up. So we have a a condition and then a medical practice, a practice that led to further misery. Her greatest fear was, I didn't want Laura to have it. And every now and then, Laura's joints feel bad. She's probably wondered a lot in her life, is this ever going to show up? And so thankfully, at this point, the RA gene or whatever that is hasn't showed up, the RA factor, but it has in Rebecca, her sister. And I'm sure that there's some unwarranted guilt with Mrs. Evans. as She was like, I'm the one who hurt my daughter, and she may have to walk through the same misery that I walked through as I passed along this condition. I'm not a nurse, and I've never worked in a delivery ward, but some of you have, and some of you have seen these things, that, these things that's, not, that's improper. You've seen what we call crack babies. Child never asked for drugs, never wanted drugs, but the mom partook, and babies are born absolutely addicted. That's what sin is. Adam and Eve sinned. And it's kind of a mystery how it happens. Does it come through the blood or does it come through the seed or is it just some kind of moral thing going on? I don't know how it works either. But I do know what my Bible says. And so get ready. We're flying. Don't try to take pictures. 
just ask me for my notes. Does the Bible really say that my grandson, who's two months old that I saw last night, two nights ago, is born in sin? Is he a sinner before he even sins? My Bible says so. Here we go. Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Isaiah 48. Don't you know that before birth, you were called a rebel? I'm going to skip on to Romans 5. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For many died through the one man's trespass. For the, following, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation because of one man's trespass. Death reigned through that one man. Yes, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made righteous. Paul says in the, his letter to the Corinthians, for as by a man came death, later on he says, in Adam all die. It can't be more clear than that. That's what your Bible teaches, that there's no one who's righteous. No, not one. And if anyone says that he's unrighteous in 1 John's language, he's lying. He's kidding himself. You are born depraved. What does that mean to be born depraved? It means that your insides and your outsides are all corrupt. There's not one part of your being, no matter what you want to call it, by what word, that is not tainted or marred by sin. Does the scripture really teach that? Yes. In Genesis chapter 6, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. Psalm 58, it's in your hearts that you desire wrong, devise wrong. Then your hands deal out violence on the earth. In Ecclesiastes 8, it's the heart of the children of man that is fully set to do evil. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Jesus Christ in Matthew 7, 12, and 15 tell us that it's out of the abundance of the heart that all wickedness flows. It's like this is the root and from the root comes the fruit. This is the fountain and from here comes the corrupt water that comes out of the fountain. Titus writes to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So I love little Jojo. But little Jojo needs a savior already. There's no such thing as an age of accountability or a state of accountability to where he all of a sudden becomes not guilt. I mean, guilty. No, he's guilty before he's ever sinned. But he's not guilty for sinning. He's guilty for being a sinner. And where did he get the title sinner? From the declaration of God who said that my little grandson Jojo is already in Adam. And so I, as a parent now, have participated in damning my grandson because I received from Adam what I passed on to my son who then passed on to his son. And this is what your Bible teaches, that there's this thing called original sin 
and it messes up everything, not just our external actions, but first and foremost, our hearts from which flow our external actions. And what can I do for Joseph? Or what can I do for Jojo? What can I do for me? We believe in original sin, total depravity, and total inability. Nothing. There is nothing you can do for yourself. For even if God offers you the free gift from your desires in your heart, you will not accept that gift because everything you have is against him who gives that gift. So even when he looks at us and he gives us commands, instructions, laws, I'm I'm saying that on purpose, like thou shalt believe and have faith or thou shalt repent. What did we all believe last week? That those are laws, those are instructions, those are commands. We're not bringing them down to where if we just have a little bit of faith and a little bit of belief, we're okay. No, the law of faith and belief and repentance says it's gotta be up there and you've gotta believe and love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and anything less than that is unrighteousness. So even your faith and repentance is unrighteous. There is nothing that we can do for ourselves or for the lost to bring them to Christ. I mean, we, we can, to, to see them converted, we can bring them to Christ, but let me keep going. I, I shouldn't have said it that way. Job writes, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? In Proverbs, it says, I've, I've made, who can say I've made my heart pure? In Jeremiah, it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Paul in Romans says, none is righteous, no, not one. No man seeks God, no man comes to God. It was Jesus Christ who said, no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. Paul He writes in Romans 8, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. That's Romans 8, 7. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it makes it very clear. Dead. Not going down for the count. Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. As you followed the course of this world, as you followed the devil, the spirit that's at work in the sons of obedience, as you did what you wanted with your passions, as you did what you wanted with your mind, as you did what you wanted with your body, you were just children of wrath. Yeah, you had nurture problems, sure. But you got a nature problem. Like all mankind. I can read other verses, but I don't have time. What I am not saying is this, that we're not created in the image of God. We are. I am not saying that we don't show some evidence of being created in the image of God. Because we do. We can all hold hands and sing, we are the world, and give food to people. I am not saying that we're no longer able to do something that's a good thing. It's good for people to give food to people. 
I am not saying that we no longer have the ability to intellectually understand truth. I am not saying that we're as bad as we can be. For I promise you I will get worse as your pastor. I will make progress in the number of my transgressions committed and I will further damage you as a pastor over the years as I serve you. It will get worse for me and I hate that. I am not saying that all sins are equally damaging and I am not saying that you're not responsible for your sin and I'm not saying that God is the author of sin. What am I saying? Bottom line, all men are born scarred. That's your default condition. Totally scarred on the inside and the outside to where there's none righteous, no, not one, and even your good deeds are considered as filthy rags in the language of Scripture. And there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is sin and suffer. And if I had more time, I would go to the next slide, go ahead, and I would tell you these are the ways we suffer. You want to know why the world's not like it should be? It's because of sin, and all the suffering you can imagine probably can be placed in these categories. As you suffer in your relationship with God, in your own soul, as you lack peace, your body's messed up, your mind is messed up, your neighbors are messed up, this planet is messed up, the devil can have his way with you if you're not his child. And this is just the beginning. This is your heaven if you're an unbeliever because hell is coming where you're going to suffer with Satan forever. God is holy and we're to have awe for him. His law is good and gracious and we should keep it. It's high and holy but we, and we don't. And that's called sin. And all of us are in trouble. So what does this do? I think I'm going to end in a different way than I did before and just use three H's. This should make us humble. No longer is, am I concerned about if my sin is less offensive than your sin. It's just bad. No longer do I care about categories of really serious sin versus really not serious sin because there are no such categories. I'm just humble. It should make you hungry. This is what the law does, as we talked about last week. Now you're realizing, well, education's not going to fix me. The church is not going to fix me. The psychologist is not going to fix me. The pharmacist is not going to fix me. New friends or a new marriage is not going to fix me. New Year's resolutions aren't going to fix me. The law's definitely not going to fix me because it just keeps showing me how bad I am. Oh, that there was something other than having to merit obedience to God. Is there anything like that? And the answer is, there is. We're going to go to the gospel. Humility, followed by a hunger for something else, which then leads to that third H, which is happiness. This is what we get to do next week. When the bad news has finally been presented, that we have an awesome God, that we have a high law, but that all we bring to the partnership is sin every single time. And now we turn from anthropology to Christology. We know what we do, and it's not pretty. But what has Jesus Christ done? Jesus Christ is our living hope. 
And if you really start believing, I don't have to perform to get him to like me because he is perfectly performed and he likes me. That will cause you to be happy and it will make you want to sing. So come back next week. If you can't handle it till then, find me. I'll come tell you the good news this week. But for now, let's stand. We're going to end this service right now by singing about our, our hope in Jesus Christ. He's our only boast. He has everything you need and you need him desperately.